It's good to be with y'all this morning. I know a number of uh, folks are out and have been sick with a stomach bug, and so we want to be praying for just health and healing. Uh, so if you're worshiping with us online and you're home feeling ill this morning, we love you and are thankful you're part, and we're praying for your healing and restoration. Uh, we are going to start a new teaching series today uh, focused on encountering Jesus. Our theme for this year, what we're going to focus on as a church, is encountering the Lord, encountering Jesus in a fresh way. I love the Gospel of John. I shared this with you. Uh, last week in the Gospel of John, you find Jesus giving an incredible invitation to you and to me. He says in John chapter 6, he says that he declares, he says, I am the bread of of life. Anybody here like bread? I love, I love, I love, I love bread. I have to admit, I love bread. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. And whoever believes in me will never, uh, sorry, will never be thirsty. So Jesus is saying, here I am. I am the bread of life. I am the bread that makes life worth living. You think that the rolls at your favorite restaurant or that your mom makes, your grandmother makes are so good, and they are, I'm sure. But Jesus said, I'm better than even the best bread you could have. If you're gluten sensitive, I'm bread that you can take in. If you're on keto, I'm carb free, right? But I am the bread that makes life worth living. I'm the bread that truly satisfies. And he's offering this invitation in the Gospels over and over and over again to come to him, to eat, to drink, to feast in his presence and find fullness. And this is something we believe the Holy Spirit is highlighting to our church in this season, this year, that this would be a year of us responding to the Lord's invitation to come to him who is our true bread. And him who is our true wine and find the fullness that we so long for, for everyone who's hungry and everyone who is thirsty. Jesus gives us that invitation and we're going to pursue that as a church family over the course of this year. There are three areas that we want to focus in on, places to encounter the Lord afresh, places that we're going to be talking about, learning about, pursuing together. We want to encounter Jesus in our homes, whether you live in a dorm or an apartment, a townhome, a house, you live uh, maybe in a, 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 you know, uh, in a tent somewhere, wherever you call home, right? We believe that the Lord wants to encounter you there, wants to meet you there, wants to fill you there. We want to encounter Jesus in our homes. We want to encounter Jesus in a fresh way in the church. That we believe that when the body of Christ comes together, that God wants to meet with us in a fresh way. So we want to encounter Jesus in the church. And we want to encounter Jesus in our city. There are ways that God wants to meet you. Ways that God wants to fill you. Ways that God wants to impact you. That you can feast in him. That are going to happen as we go on mission with Jesus to our neighbors and our coworkers and our workplaces and our schools that we're going to encounter the Lord in fresh ways there. In fact, some of my most powerful encounters with the Lord have come as we step out in mission. So we want to encounter Jesus in our homes, in our church, and in our city. Now, I want to zoom in for the next several weeks just on the first part of that, encountering Jesus in our home. Because you might be asking this question, okay, Jesus is the bread of life. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I want more of the Lord, but how do I 
feast in him? How do I eat of the bread that he is offering? How do I drink of the wine that he is offering to me, the living water that he is? How do I do that, Zach? It's great that we're focusing on the home, but how do we kind of, I don't know, get, 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 get how, do, how does this happen? And I shared with you last week a story about uh, in college, I worked at this summer camp that was really transformational for me. At that camp, uh, every so often you would get a day off. And on those days off, we would go into town. We who had been hot and sweaty and outside uh, for days on end, we would go in and be excited about air conditioning. We'd be excited about wearing something other than just t-shirt and bathing suit that we wore every day because you were gonna go swimming Every day at the camp, we would go in and we would hang out and we would not have anything to do. And, and so some of the, camp, the counselors that worked there were from the area. So you really wanted to partner with them on the days off because they knew the fun places to go. And they told me about this one restaurant. They said, we have to go to this restaurant on our day off. It is legendary. It is Southern comfort food. Anybody like Southern comfort food? It is homemade. But they said the best part at this place are the rolls. You have to have the rolls. So we go, there is a long line. It is always a good sign when there is a long line at a restaurant on a normal day. You know, okay, I'm in for a treat. You go in, you order. Think here like babes, like you order that kind of food, chicken fried steak, green beans, mashed potatoes, gravy. They bring it all to you. It's awesome. And I'm waiting for the rolls. And then I noticed the most uh, peculiar thing. Some of the servers are walking around with the rolls, but rather than bringing them to your table or putting them in a basket, they are throwing them across the restaurant to whoever has their hand up. So if you wanted a roll, it's unlimited rolls. These are those hot, buttery, country like rolls that you could eat 20 of, uh, easy 20 of, like they were that good, right? The way that you got them was to put your hand in the air and then the wait staff, who I think must have been minor league baseball players, they would take the rolls and they would throw them across the restaurant to you. And you had to be good. I am sure that there are people who got smacked in the face because they did not properly catch the roll, but the rolls were so good, no one complained, right? It was just like a blessing. Oh, I just got hit in the face with this hot, fresh piece of bread. But if you wanted the roll, if you wanted to eat, it was unlimited. They wanted to give it to you. They wanted you to have these rolls you had to know to raise your hand to receive it. And in some ways, when we start talking about Jesus and he wants to fill us, right, the question that we ask is, well, how do I kind of raise my hand, so to speak, that he might fill it, that I might get that bread of life that he is talking about? And that's what we're gonna look at in the home. What are some things that we can do to raise our hands, so to speak? Jesus wants to fill you. Jesus wants to feed you. When we talk about encountering Jesus, I love how Joe said it in our serve team rally. It's not like we're going out looking for him, trying to find him like we're playing hide and seek and he's hiding because he's elusive. No, no, no. He's come looking for us. It's not like we said, oh God, please fill me, right? He said, no, I have come to fill you. I am offering you the bread of life, the bread of my presence, the wine of my spirit for anyone who's hungry and anyone who's thirsty. And our response is just to raise our hand. And he wants to send it our way. He wants to come. He's looking for us more than we are looking for him. Jesus wants to encounter you in a fresh way more than you want to encounter him in a fresh way. Amen. I'm preaching to myself today. I'm preaching up here. I'm just saying Jesus wants to encounter you more 
then you are looking for an encounter with him. But how do, we, how do we raise our hand? How do we do that? And that's what we're gonna look at today and over the next few weeks. There are two ways that we raise our hands, so to speak, in our homes that help us to encounter Jesus, that help us to experience him as the bread of life, that help us to experience the wine of his presence. And the first one is something that we do weekly. It's a weekly Sabbath. And the other one is something that we do daily, and it's a daily quiet time. And we're gonna focus over the next few weeks leading up to Easter on both of these things. As we talk about encountering Jesus in the home, we want to encounter him through enjoying a weekly Sabbath and having a daily quiet time. I wanna talk to you about Sabbath today, and then I wanna talk to you about quiet time over the next few weeks. Now, each sermon as we lead up to Easter, as we talk about this, is going to come with one practical action item, something that we can implement because this is the type of thing that you want to hear and put into practice, right? You don't just wanna hear about the roles or hear, oh, maybe that would be a good thing. You want to raise your hand and let Christ fill it. So each week, there's gonna be one practical thing that you can do if you're saying, Zach, I am hungry, I am thirsty, I want to encounter the Lord in a fresh way that's going to help you to do that, help you to receive from the Lord. Today, we're going to talk about Sabbath, next week, about quiet times. Now, I want you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter five. Luke chapter five. One of the things that I love about Jesus is that he is our savior, and he saves us from our sin, but he's also our teacher. He teaches us how to live in the way that God has designed life to work. And so when we read the gospels, we get to look at his life and we get to see, oh, this is what it looks like to live life to the full. Luke chapter five, we see this little phrase about Jesus that is very profound. In fact, I would call this a pregnant sentence. There's a lot here. Luke chapter five, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Take a minute just to read that. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to take notes. You wanna write that down, highlight it. Just look at those words. Some things that stood out to me that have impacted me from this passage is that it says Jesus often. That this was a habit. This wasn't a one-time kind of, oh, I just had this one day where I kind of went out and just did my own thing, got a little alone time. No, Luke who's very detailed. Luke, who is like the documentarian who makes the 12-part documentary series like Ken Burns, like just so long and so detailed. I mean, his gospel is full of detail. He's taking notes and he's like, I want you to know that Jesus often, habitually, as was his custom, this was a part of his life, Jesus withdrew to lonely places. That Jesus stepped back from the busyness of life the busyness of the ministry that he had, the people around him that he stepped back and he withdrew to lonely places. Not just once, not just every now and then, but often he would pull back. And he wouldn't just pull back for alone time, but what would he pull back for? He would pull back for prayer. As you read through the life of Jesus over and over and over again, you see this habit that he had, this way of living, this custom of being, ministering to people, of doing his, his, his mission, what God had called him to, and then there would be these times where he would step back and he would withdraw to rest and to be renewed in his Father's presence. 
Jesus, who abided with the Father, who walks with the Spirit, took these times away from everything else to focus in a fresh way on God the Father, to focus in a fresh way on the Spirit's presence in his life. This wasn't a one-time occurrence, but it was a habitual part of Jesus' life. In the Gospel of Mark, whereas Luke is very thorough and detailed, he is the three-hour podcast or the 12-part documentary on a certain issue or something that happened in history, Mark is more like the TikTok version. If you've ever read Mark, it is short, quick, and to the point. He doesn't have time for all the details. I mean, it is like immediately is used over and over and over again. It's like those TikTok videos where it's just moving. He's keeping it moving. He's keeping it moving. It's the shortest gospel. In Mark's 16 chapters, he lists nine different scenes. So in 16 fast-moving chapters, nine of the scenes are about Jesus withdrawing like Luke talks about, about Jesus pulling back to rest either alone or with his disciples and to commune with the Lord in a fresh way. So much so that when you read through the Gospel of Mark, commentators say it becomes very clear that Jesus lived this in uh, inside-out life, that there was this withdrawing to be with the Lord in a focused way, and then from that place, he would go out. Not away from the Lord, but with the Lord. But there were times of deeper rest, reflection, and being with his Heavenly Father and communing with the Spirit. And I think this is so important for us when we're learning how to let the Lord feed us Jesus is modeling for us that our lives, that what he wants for us is that we too would have these rhythms. If we're following him, he's teaching his disciples to live this way, that we would be a people who would take time to pull back, take time to rest, take time to be with the Lord in a focused way, to pray and to be with the Lord, and that from that place of abiding that we would go out and we would bear much fruit in the things that God had called us to. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And when we're learning how to let God feed us, when we're learning how to let God nurture us, when we're talking about encountering Jesus in the home, what we want to do through weekly Sabbath and through daily quiet time is to build these rhythms into our lives like our teacher Jesus, where we were withdrawing from the busyness of life, from the distraction of life, from the pressures of life, from everything going on to say, Lord, I want to be with you and receive from you and rest in you in a focused way. And we do that through weekly Sabbath and through daily quiet time. As we follow Jesus' example of regularly withdrawing, resting, and being with the Lord, it creates space in our lives for Christ to come into our hunger and into our thirst and for us to find the bread of his presence and the wine of his spirit to fill us, to nourish us, and to replenish us. So let's talk about a Sabbath. When we start talking about this, I'm sure various things come to mind. If you grew up in a very uh, strict religious home, I start talking about Sabbath. You might get very nervous. If you didn't grow up where Sabbath was talked about, you might be like, I have a vague idea of what does it mean. 
Uh, but when we start talking about enjoying a weekly Sabbath, we probably just have lots of questions. So let me unpack what we're talking about when we're talking about enjoying a Sabbath. The first place that Sabbath shows up in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 31. So you want to open your Bibles. We're going to look there for just a moment. We see it is the creation story, God creating the world, creating mankind. And there in the opening pages of Scripture, we find Sabbath happening for the first time. We see that God created, uh, on, uh, starting in verse 31, that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. This is just after he had created mankind. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So in the story of creation, as it unfolds, we see God entering in to Sabbath, God entering in to a period of rest, of looking at what he'd done and being like, this is very good. And then him resting. Now, interesting fact. In Genesis' account, in Genesis chapter 1, humanity is created on the sixth day. And we get into interesting discussions of whether that's literal or metaphorical. But, but what I want you to see is in the story that's being told, humanity is being created, Adam and Eve, on the sixth day. So their first day is that Sabbath day. Their first day is that day of rest. This is very significant. This is very significant because what we see here is that you and I, we as humans, that we are not human doings. Humanity's first day was not, hey, get to work. Humanity's first day was, hey, enjoy what I have made. We are human beings, not human doings. God did not create us just because he was like, well, I don't want to do any work, so I'm going to create these people that they might just go, 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 go. No, first thing God creates mankind, he's like, hey, sit back with me and enjoy all that I have made. Opening pages of scripture. That's so profound. In a world and a culture that values people based off what they do, it's so meaningful to know that God sees more in us than just what we can perform and what we can do and what we can achieve. You are a human being. And from that place of being, you have work to do. But we are not human doings, that our value and our worth is all about what we do. Amen? Amen. That's the first place that we see Sabbath. Now, sin corrupts the peace of God's good creation. And the fruit of sin is that humanity becomes slaves. Slaves to sin, slaves to one another, slaves to their own desires. And as the story unfolds through Genesis and on into Exodus, we see the people of God are in slavery in Egypt. They have moved from being human beings to now their whole value and function is what they do. And for 400 years, they live under a brutal slavery, under the oppression of Pharaoh, and their entire worth is all about what they can do. Go make more bricks, if you're familiar with the story of Exodus. 
And when God brings them out, when he liberates them, when he frees them, he gives them the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not their list to get out of Egypt. God freed them from the slavery of Egypt. And then he gave them Ten Commandments to teach them, this is how to live free. This is how to live the abundant life that I have for you. You're probably familiar with the overall Ten Commandments, but I want to turn your attention to commandment number four, found in Deuteronomy 5. We see Sabbath comes up again. This is so interesting to me. God is picking 10 major rules that he's like, hey, I got to get you guys to get this. I brought you out of freedom. If you want to stay in freedom, you need to learn these things. And one of those 10 is about Sabbath. It's up there for the Lord with do not kill. Do not steal. If I was making my top 10 list, I don't know that I would have put Sabbath on the list. What would you have put? But God says, no, this is so important. And I want to show it to you. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 5. This is one, another major reference to Sabbath in the scripture. And God speaks and he says, observe the Sabbath day, that, that, that day off, that by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So six days they're going to work. One day they're going to have this Sabbath day. Sabbath means stop. It's a day of rest. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son or your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your ox, your donkey or any of your animals nor any of the foreigners residing in your towns so that your male and female servants, that they may rest just as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So the Lord revisits Sabbath with them. He says, I want you to do this because I want you to remember that you once were slaves. And I have brought you out and you are slaves no longer. Slaves cannot take a day off. Slaves just work, 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 work. God is saying that is not who my people are. My people are sons and daughters. And because you are not a slave, but you are a son, you are a daughter. I want you to start by taking a day off every week. A day off from your labors. I don't just want it for the, the men in society. I want it for the women too. I don't just want it for the parents and not for the kids. I want it for the children too. I don't just want it for the rich in society. I want it for the poor too. I don't just want it for the humans in society. I want it for the animals as well. I want everyone to have a day off. Imagine you go into work tomorrow and you have a new boss and the new boss comes to you, comes to the company, is like, hey, we've got some new ways we're going to do things. I know how things were done before, but now is a new day and we're going to do new things. The first thing that I want you to do is I want to make sure everyone takes your vacation time. I want to make sure you're getting enough rest. I want to make sure you're taking time off of work. I know how Pharaoh before might have done things, but this is a new day. Now, you and I, if that happened, we would be like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like what is going on. But essentially, this is what God is doing. He's coming in. He's saying, I'm in charge. Pharaoh is not in charge anymore. I want you to worship me. I want you to know I'm in charge. I don't want you to compare anything else to me. And I want to make sure, first thing, that you are taking time off. I want you rested. I want you 
cared for. I want you to have a break. You have to imagine the Israelites, 400 years in slavery, are like, are you serious? Like this is this made the big 10 commandments. Now you and I, we're not under the law in the same way that they were, but the wisdom of the 10 commandments has application for all of our lives. And we see here that Sabbath is a day of rest because God's people are not slaves. They are sons and they are daughters. Now, what we find, uh, and this is so relatable, is that though the Israelites got out of Egypt, Egypt was not out of them. Though they weren't under Pharaoh anymore, there were all sorts of Pharaohs that were going to try and control them. And one of the places that this came out over and over and over again was with the Sabbath, right? That they had all these interior Pharaohs that dominated and twisted and took this simple idea of a day off to rest and enjoy the Lord and to be replenished, to encounter the Lord there. They twisted it and they made it legalistic and they put all these rules around it. And we too can do the same thing. We can twist it over and over and over again. We can twist God's good gifts. This isn't unique to them. This is common to humanity. And so Jesus comes along and he's speaking into this. And in Mark chapter two, Jesus is taking his disciples through a grain field. And here is another major picture we get from scripture about the Sabbath. Jesus was going through the grain fields, Mark chapter two. As his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? The Pharisees saw them picking grain. They said, hey, that's against the rules. You're technically you're working. Jesus answers them. Well, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? He references uh, the story of the great King David. He said in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, David entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And then he gave some to his companions. And then Jesus makes an incredibly important point. Mark 2, 27. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, God didn't create you just so that you could fulfill some arbitrary day that he wanted everyone to have off. Like this is a burden. No, no. God created the Sabbath for you, not you for the Sabbath. I mean, this is God's gift to mankind, God's gift to his people, not God's burden to lay on people. And Jesus is revealing the heart of the Sabbath. He's revealing that this is provision from God for our care. Then all the ways that we try and twist it and make it a burden, make it, oh, I've got to do this. I feel bad. I should do more. No, no, no. God's saying, no, I want to care for you. I have made this for you, not you to fulfill this arbitrary rule. I love that. I love that. Do y'all know that there are 22 uh, examples of Jesus healing, 22 testimonies of Jesus healing in the gospels? And seven of them, almost a third of them happen on the Sabbath day. There's probably a lot of reasons for that, but I wonder if one of them is Jesus trying to paint a picture of what God's intention for the Sabbath is and what God's heart is, is it would be a day of healing, a day of restoration, a day of rest, a gift from the Lord. We are not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is God's gift to us. The Sabbath is, uh, was, was to serve us, not us to serve the Sabbath. 
I love that. So we don't live under the law. And so we see later on in Colossians that Paul's like, hey, don't get hung up on the specific day, specific time, right? But we do want to take the principle that this is a way that God wants to practically feed you, that God wants to practically care for you, that God wants to restore you. And sometimes I wonder how many of us are feeling hungry, feeling thirsty, feeling tired, and we have not received the practical provision that God has placed in our life of taking time off to let him feed us, to let him care for us, to let him restore us. So as a church family, we try and practice Sabbath, not in a hard and literal way of like, and it's got to be like this and like this. No, no, but we try and practice the spirit of it. And we believe that this is a place, a practical place where God wants to encounter you and me in fresh ways. We teach this in the discipleship school and common questions always come up. I want to address those uh, as we do this. What in the world do we do on this day where we stop? And so I want to go through four things. When you're thinking about the Sabbath and we're saying, okay, I want to receive God's care. I want to receive God's nourishment. I want to receive God's replenishment in my life, the gift of Sabbath. What in the world do I do on those days? We're going to go through four things. You want to write these four things down. The first one that we see, and we saw this both in the Genesis example and the Deuteronomy example, is that we stop. So first way to get going with the Sabbath is pick some time to stop. Maybe that, maybe right now you can do a whole day. Look, if what you can do is a whole day, awesome. If you can start with an evening or a morning, go for it. I want to encourage you to take steps and grow over time. And I realize we're all in different places with this, but it starts with stopping. It starts with saying, I'm going to budget some intentional time just to stop this week. So what I want you to do on your phone is I want you to look at your calendar Pull out, you can pull out your phone right now. Look at your calendar. Where's some time this week that you can stop? If you can do a whole day, let's do a whole day. If you can't do a whole day, what can you start with? And that we can build on over time. But I want you to receive the gift of God's care and provision for you this week. You're going to stop. So you need to figure out some time to stop. And when we stop, we're going to fill that stoppage with rest. So how can you get some rest this week? This is one of the ways that God wants to feed you with the bread of his presence and with the wine of his spirit is that you would rest. Now imagine rest looks different for all of us. Some common ingredients might be sleep. Some of us might enjoy going for a walk in nature, riding a bike, uh, just enjoying time with friends. But what does rest look like to you and how can you get some time in your week for rest? So we stop and we rest. Third thing that we do is that Sabbath is a time to delight in God. So just as Jesus withdrew to pray, to commune with his heavenly father on those times, those breakage times, it's not just kind of time alone for me. There is that element, but it is time to be with the Lord. So what does that look like for you that you could delight in God? Maybe that's some time to spend in scripture or worship, or thanksgiving, but what does it look like for you to delight in God? And then number four, fourth thing that you want to do is delight in God's works. Delight in God's 
works. Psalm 92, which we didn't have time to go into, a psalm for the Sabbath day. In verse four, it says, for you, Lord, you made me glad through your work. On the Sabbath day, the people of God would take time to recount the works of God. When we enjoy God's blessings in our lives, when we delight in what God has given to us, the way God has blessed us, when we enjoy those things, that is a way of practicing the Sabbath. And through these means, stopping, resting, delighting in God and delighting in God's work, God begins to restore us, to replenish us, to nourish us, and to rejuvenate us. And it's a place that we encounter God in a fresh way. Now, you can only take my word for it so much. What I want you to do is go put this to the test. Go try this out. Not just one time, but try this out and see what happens. See what happens in your life. See the ways that God has blessed you. One of the things that I've found so often is that I miss out on the blessings that God has put in my life because I'm just going, 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 going. And when I take time to stop, it helps me to see, oh Lord, how wonderful are your works. It helps me to draw near to the Lord in a fresh way. It helps me to rest and it helps me to stop. Now, another question people have is, well, in my particular stage of life, I don't really know what this looks like. So I want to walk you through just some examples from my own life and my, my wife of what this has looked like for us over the years. Uh, when we first got married, we, we got married right out of college and we were both really growing in our faith at that time. And so we would intentionally, we said, okay, Sunday is going to be our, our time of Sabbath. And we would go to church on Sunday and then we would come home and we would try and take the longest nap possible. We would say no alarm clock on the back end, just nap as long as you can. We both had a, a busy, you know, during the week, lots of things going on. So we enjoyed that time of rest. And then when I would wake up from that nap, I would go and run. I love to go run in the woods and there was a trail by our house. And so I would try and go on my longest run of the week where I would just set a time limit and just say, I'm just going to go run through the woods. I love that. It's restorative to my soul. So we were resting. Uh, we started, I forgot, we started the Sabbath day by spending time with the Lord. So we would be in scripture and prayer. Then we would go to church and we'd really try and spend the first half of the day really filling up in God in those ways. Take the nap, go for the run. Then we'd come back and we would go. Uh, in those days, we would go to Chili's. We didn't have much money and so we'd need to split something at Chili's. That's what we could afford. So we would get the quesadilla explosion salad every week. Any quesadilla explosion fans? There we go, chips, salsa, and we'd ask for avocado ranch and a cherry Coke. And we would sit there and we would enjoy and delight in God's works. And then we would go home and we would watch this remodeling show that my wife liked, uh, that I was just happy to be right there with her to watch. And that was our day. And it was restorative and replenishing. And we enjoyed that. Uh, when we had children, right? Uh, FYI, kids don't sleep in on the weekends. And so that threw off some of this idea of what rest would be. And so in the early days with small kids, what we would do uh, is that we would figure out, okay, we're going to wake up and we're going to take turns spending time with the Lord. So uh, I would take the, my daughter first and then Christina would have time with the Lord. And then we'd switch. We'd make French toast. So we always enjoy good food on the Sabbath. Highly recommend having some good food on the Sabbath. We'd do French toast, then we would take a nap, then I would go for a run, 
And then we would enjoy some sort of movie after that. Not the same, not the same level of rest, not the same length of nap, but it was a day to stop. It was a day to rest in that season. It was a day to delight in God, to spend time with him and delight in his works. Our kids are a little bit older now. So what it looks like now is that we block out Friday night. Uh, We've done this for a number of years now. On Friday night, we try and have everyone home. I'm going to work on having some good food on that night. My wife is a great cook. I like to cook, and it's a blessing to her when I cook on the weekend. And so I'm going to try and grill or make something. I like the charcoal grill. Any charcoal grill fans? You and me right there. We got a few. We got a few. If it's a gas grill, don't bother me. I'll just cook in the oven. But a charcoal grill, you get that smell going. So we'll grill. Got a fan over there. We'll grill. We'll eat. We'll go through and we call it a family fun night and we'll take time at the beginning, cast vision of this is a time where we're delighting in God. We're delighting in his works. We're being thankful for God's blessings in our lives. We're being thankful for our family. So we'll watch a movie that kind of works for everybody, uh, all the ages of the kids. We'll have the younger kids go to bed. The older kids will stay up and do something. Next morning comes around, right? I'll try and let my wife sleep in. Wake up, spend time with the Lord. I'll make pancakes on Saturday. We'll have time with the Lord and whatnot. And we'll eat pancakes together and we'll commune with God. And that's our rhythm for where we are with two uh, kind of teenagers and then two younger ones. That's what we do each and every week. Now, do we ever miss? Sometimes. But our general rule is that we're pretty, pretty 90% of the time consistent with this. Okay? And what this does for our family in the different seasons is it builds in those times of receiving from God, of resting, of delighting in God and delighting in his works. Now, your life might look different than mine and the things that fill us up might not be the things that fill you up. And that's okay. There's grace in this. But my challenge to you is where this week can you respond? Where this week can you block out some time to stop? to rest, to focus on delighting in God and to focus on delighting in God's works. I want to challenge you to do that this week. And when we come back next week, we're going to talk about, okay, this is the weekly Sabbath and we're going to see how this builds us forward and then couple that with a daily quiet time. And I believe that as we do this, that God will fill us in a fresh way. I want to tell you one story before we close that I find really fascinating about the power of Sabbath. In the town of Lyndon, Washington, one of the founding mothers of the town, her name is Phoebe Judson. And she arrived in that city in 1871. And she was very passionate about the city as a whole taking Sabbath. And the reason she was so passionate about this was her own experience with the Sabbath. Her and her husband, Hudson, had come west on a wagon train from Kansas City all the way to Washington. And the leader of the wagon train has said one of the non-negotiables was that no matter how far we had to go, what was going on, that we were going to take a Sabbath on the seventh day and we were going to rest, delight, seek the Lord, etc. She said, she described herself, even though she was a pastor's kid, she was shocked. They were actually going to do this on the wagon train. She said, we've got 2,000 miles to go. 
We have to reach our destination before mid-October or the winter will destroy us. We have to go over the Oregon Trail. Have you ever played that video game? She actually lived it. And she said they had to go through several, four mountain passes, innumerable, uh, innumerable river crossings. All were in front of her. And she said when the captain said, we're going to take the Sabbath, she was so mad. She was like, how do we have time to do this? We need to go. She said other people that were a part of their wagon train left because they were so offended that this was going to happen. And on the first day when they did the Sabbath, uh, they saw other wagon trains passing them on that day. So you can imagine the internal grumblings of why in the world are we doing this? Everyone else is getting ahead of us. This is not going to work out well. But she said that she remembered what her father taught her. She said, okay, I'm going to submit to the rules of this wagon train. So they kept going out. Now, week after week goes by and they were consistent with the Sabbath. And at first it didn't seem like it mattered much, but then she began to notice some things as they continued to go. One of the things that she noticed was the impact that the Sabbath had on the animals, that they gave their animals a day of rest every seven days. And as they went further on the trail, what they found were other wagon trains had broken down because their animals had gotten sick and died because they'd been overworked. And so though those other trains started out ahead of them, they realized, oh, we're actually getting further than they are because they did not stop to rest. She noticed uh, that the men normally walked the trail. And so having a day of rest every seven days where they took time to worship, eat, rest, and play together uh, had a, an effect on their morale, that it boosted their spirits. So every seven days, there was a boost to their spirit for the work that was ahead of them. And she began to watch the effect that it had on the people so that when they came to challenges, right, they had inner strength to draw from, that God had filled them. And she noticed a difference in the people's spirits. Finally, what sold her on the Sabbath had one, uh, happened one Sunday evening when one of the families who'd gotten mad at the beginning and said, we're not doing that, and they set off with another wagon train, came back to the original wagon train, out of supplies, limping, hurting, and saying, hey, this way of just kind of going our own pace did not work. Can we jump back in with you guys? And her train eventually made it all the way there because they took this practical act of taking the Sabbath and resting and delighting in God and being filled up in him, receiving his care, encountering him in a fresh way. And that's what fueled them to move forward. I realize that we all have work to do in the week ahead. We all have significant challenges. We may not be on the Oregon Trail, but we all have things that we're going to be facing. And I just wonder how many of us feel like we're running out of gas and are on empty or, or, or beaten up or broken down. And God's like, I want to care for you. And this is one of the practical ways that I want to do that by you practicing the Sabbath and letting me feed you, letting me refresh you, letting me fill you, letting me care for you in a very practical way. So with that, I want to invite you to stand. If we can get the worship team to come forward. Anybody in for putting a Sabbath into practice this week? Great. This is one of the ways that we want to encounter the Lord in our homes. And I believe that as we do this, that God will fill us in a fresh way. 
As the worship team leads us in response, we want to take time to let the Spirit minister to each person here, each part person, part of the congregation, the way that the Spirit would want to do that. So if I can get the prayer and prophetic team, our staff and overseers to be available to pray with anyone. Our worship team is going to lead us in song. And we do this each and every week to close our time together by looking up to the Lord, by responding to his word, and by looking for the spirit to minister to us. So many different people in our congregation in different places in life, but I believe the Lord wants to encourage you. And so if there's something today that you're coming where you're like, man, I am hungry and I am thirsty and I need to encounter the Lord, we'd love to pray and to prophesy over you and believe God to minister to you. And if you're here and you're kind of chewing on the word that I gave about the Sabbath, and you're like, man, Lord, help me to do this. I want to encourage you to just right where you are, just to worship him and respond. But if you need prayer, don't leave this place without receiving the prayer ministry, without receiving the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, God, that you are our bread of life. Thank you that you are the better wine that truly satisfies. And your desire for us as a church, as a whole and individually, Lord, is that you would fill us in a fresh way this year. And that from that place of being filled, that we might live like Jesus, that, that uh, inside out life of being filled in you and then going out in a place of overflow, Lord, to the work that you've called us to. Help us to receive the rest and replenishment that you want to give us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As the worship team leads us, I want to invite you to respond.